The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Mr. Josh Golan. He's the executive director of Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood. It is the only organization devoted solely to stopping the commercial exploitation of children, and it is also the home of Screen Free Week. Josh started at CCFC as an intern in 2003. I think that's probably around the time I met him. And he has been working with the organization in a variety of capacities ever since. He's worked on their advocacy campaigns and has helped develop its communication strategies. He has had national media exposure, including Today, Fox and Friends, NBC Nightly News. He has been quoted in the New York Times, Washington Post, and USA Today. And he and his wife, Jennifer, are doing their best to raise their daughter, Clara, commercial-free. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. So you told me before the show started that Clara was seven and a half. As a parent with grown children, it's really wonderful to speak to someone who has a younger child because I'm curious to know, what are your greatest challenges in raising Clara today? I think it's that the proliferation of screen culture has just expanded so much. And so there are always a number of parents who are concerned about television and how much kids are watching television and being exposed to commercials on television. But I think even those parents who are vigilant about television have now succumbed a lot to the smartphones and handing smartphones and iPads to young children so I think it's the I think the the biggest challenge is really that marketing is coming from everywhere now, and it's not just a question of avoiding children's programming on television, but really it's a 360 degree attack that the marketers are are, are performing on children. Yeah, and I remember. So I was a parent during those years when really our biggest challenge was television, and also product placement in movies and video games were big. But I often think about parents today and their challenges with having kids with a screen. And the idea of having a smartphone or a cell phone, some sort of mobile device, is really portrayed as being a safety tool, right? Because now kids can call us if there's a problem. It's seen from a parent's perspective, I think, as being able to stay in touch with our most precious children. But marketers know that it's one-on-one advertising. At least when you're sitting watching a movie or a TV show together, you have an opportunity for interjecting thoughts or comments. But it seems to me that the screen culture today is one-on-one. So what is the interface that parents can have? You know, that's a really great question. I think it's a great point. And I think, you know, as screens become smaller and smaller, and they really are designed for children to be watching by themselves at this point and, and having those conversations that a lot of us parents try to do during those commercial breaks are much tougher. I think first and foremost, as parents, we need to be vigilant about limiting screen time. Well, I think there's all sorts of things we can do about talking to kids about marketing and doing media literacy with them and helping them to understand what the purpose of, of advertising is. But I really do think that, that kids today spend far too much time with screens and it's harmful not 
not just for the advertising that they're, they're exposed to, but also, you know, to their physical health and their social development and their educational development as well. So that's the first and foremost thing. But I also think as children get older, it's important to know what they're watching and, and how they're using those screens. And I think it's just, it's, it's really important that as parents, we understand that these screens are primarily marketing devices, that all of that programming, all of those games that we're playing, all of those social networks that we're on um, are designed to collect information from us and to market back to us and to, and to do that to our children. And, and we need to start teaching our children that as soon as they're developmentally ready to really understand those ideas, that these games aren't being provided for free because they want you as a child to be entertained. They're provided for free because these games are marketing delivery systems or these social networks are, are to collect information about you and your friends. And I think particularly as children get older um, into those middle school and, and high school year ages where they can be more skeptical and also they don't like the idea of being manipulated, I think those are really great times to have conversations about what marketers are trying to do. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something that I want to touch on because the Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood has something called TODI Awards. And that stands for Toys, Oppressive, and Destructive to Young Children. And I was going through the 2015 Toady Awards, and speaking of surveillance, the toy that won was related to Barbie. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about this particular toy. Sure. So last holiday season, Mattel came out with a Barbie called Hello Barbie, which actually recorded and analyze children's conversations. And the idea was that, you know, the, the Barbie would learn things about your child so that she could then have a conversation back, you know, if you said you had a dog, she could, would say, oh, I remember you told me you, you had a dog and, and what's your dog's name, that kind of thing. But in fact, this information was being collected by Mattel. It was being shared with Mattel's partners. And so obviously, if you think about the private, intimate conversations that uh, children have with a doll, with a pretend object, you can imagine what a wealth of information that, they, that Mattel and its corporate partners were collecting on children or, or could collect on children for, from this doll. So we, we did a big campaign to raise awareness about that this was, in fact, an eavesdropping doll and all the reasons why these, you know, children's imaginative creative play is such a precious thing to them. It's such mm-hmm. an important part of child development. And to think that while a child is having what they feel is like a private conversation, that there are actually corporate spies listening to that conversation and thinking about how they can leverage that conversation for profit. Um, it's just really appalling to us. So um, we were very happy when our members voted at the worst toy of the year because uh, we absolutely agree. And, and, and the good news is, is, in fact, is that in part because of all the negative publicity that we generated around this toy, it was actually a huge flop for Mattel, and it didn't sell well. So it is heartening to know that if you get the word out and you help educate parents, that um, they want to do the right thing for their children. Absolutely. So is it still being sold? Actually, we just found out that it is now, you know, you can get get it on eBay or here and there, but it has been discontinued. So it was such a big flop that they're no longer producing it. But, of course, you know, we will see copycat toys. We'll see other toys. You know, this is the big move is to incorporate technology into everything that children play with and to turn these toys into data-collecting devices and, you know, quote-unquote smart toys, which are really about collecting as much data from us as, as they can. Well. 
Yeah, and uh, just so our listeners know that in 2015, Hello Barbie was sold for $75, $74.99. So it really is a very interesting demographic. I don't know, perhaps this was seen as a toy that children really wanted, but it seems like it's got a pretty hefty price tag on it. And I think that your point is very well taken, that this one might have been a flop, thanks to your efforts with the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood. But we should be aware that there will be other kinds of toys like this coming at us. So parents, beware. And remember that the Campaign for Commercial-Free Childhood is a source for you to stay informed. All right. Now, you've had several campaigns. Well, you have several ongoing campaigns. But I want to focus our limited time today on one that is really quite appalling to me, and I've written about it. And this, this has to do with McTeacher Nights. Now, I can tell you that when I was writing an article about this phenomenon, I spoke to teachers in rural school districts that didn't have a lot of resources. And what I was told was that this was the best thing since sliced bread because the school would not have been able to afford a playground or new playground equipment if not for the McTeacher's Nights. And the thinking was, well, the kids are going to go there anyway, we might as well be making some money. So why don't you tell us what McTeacher's Nights are and how we might be better informed and how we can stop these from continuing. Sure. So McTeacher's Nights are are part of McDonald's comprehensive marketing strategy to reach children wherever and whenever they are. And so on McTeacher's Nights, McDonald's enlists teachers to actually work at a McDonald's for a night. So the teachers um, put on McDonald's uniforms, they promote these events heavily in schools, and then children go to McDonald's that night and a small portion of the proceeds from that night is then donated back to the school. So it's a fundraiser for the school, and it's not a great one. I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But, But one of the things, I mean, if you think about, my daughter is seven and a half, and if she had the opportunity to see her teachers, who she adores more than anyone else in the world, except hopefully her parents, <laughs> out of the context of school, in, a, in working in another position, it would be so powerful to her. You know, it, she would want to see that so much. And of course, she would think that anything that her teacher was selling to her in that position was good for her because she knows her teachers are looking out for her best interests. So to think about leveraging that powerful, particularly, this is big in elementary schools, where you have those powerful student-teacher relationships and students looking up to their teachers, to leverage that to sell kids on the junkiest of junk foods is just appalling. And in terms of fundraisers, you know, what we found is that on average they earn about a dollar eighteen per student. So if you think about it, obviously nobody wants to go to a parent and ask them for any more money for anything. We're all contributing too much to, to try and keep our schools afloat. But you know, what parent wouldn't I don't know, what parent wouldn't rather say, you know, I'll give you a dollar eighteen rather than have our teachers have to become McDonald's marketers and sell junk food to our children. It's not an efficient way of, of raising money for schools, and more importantly, we shouldn't be sacrificing our children's health in order to raise money for schools. We have to do a better job of funding our schools, but surely luring them to McDonald's is not the answer. How do you respond to people who say, well, the kids are going to eat there anyway? What we've heard, is certainly there are some kids who are going to eat there anyway, but we've heard from parents who say, 
We would never eat there, but my child is coming home and saying, this is how you have school spirit. This is how you support the school. My teacher is going to be there. Mrs. Johnson is going to be at McDonald's. Why can't I go? And so I think we need to, first of all, I think we need to be concerned about all children. But when we have, it's clearly a strategy that reaches children that wouldn't necessarily be there on that Tuesday night or that Monday night, but is designed to make it seem like a the way to participate in your school community is by going to McDonald's, and I think that's a really har- harmful message to send to children and families. Absolutely. In fact, from a dietitian's perspective, a lot of our energy is spent helping families learn how to cook and eat together without a screen on and eating less of these kinds of heavily processed foods. We know that there's a connection between the consumption of processed foods like these, fast foods, and other processed foods, and childhood obesity. So I am with you 100%. I remember, I'll tell you a little story, and that is that I've known teachers in schools who have been opposed to these, and there is pressure against them speaking out against them because, again, it's this source of revenue. And for some reason, it really takes the bold teacher to step up and say, I'm not comfortable with this, because she faces then some retribution in-house from administration. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we're so excited about this new campaign that we've been running for the past year with our partners at Corporate Accountability International, because we have enlisted many, many, uh, including some of the biggest in the country, teachers' unions in this campaign. And so we really think that that's going to help those teachers who are opposed to participating in those feel more comfortable in speaking out and more comfortable in saying, you know what, this is not part of my job to lure kids to McDonald's, knowing that they have the support of their unions behind them. So we really hope that this is going to turn the tide on this just insidious marketing play. And I want our listeners to know that if you go to the Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood website, and that's simply www.commercialfreechildhood.org, you will see Stop McTeacher's Night's front and center, and you can click on that. And what I really like about this, Josh, is that you can click on the Take Action link, and so parents as teachers both can go to their school principal with information saying, you know, I'm not comfortable with this. One of the resources you have here for further reading that I remember reading about and thinking, oh, my gosh, how can this teacher still be employed, was the Iowa teacher who had brought his McDonald's diet to schools. And I thought, how is this legal for a science teacher, no less, to be promoting this kind of diet to students? Yeah, that was really remarkable. You're referring to the teacher who ate nothing but McDonald's for, I think it was a, I I can't remember, it was 90 days or maybe even more and, and claimed he lost weight and then made a movie about it. And McDonald's was using this movie actually as a marketing ploy. They were actually showing it in schools um, and encouraging uh, working with PTAs to get this movie into schools. And actually, thanks to a lot of activism and, and protests around that, McDonald's has actually stopped that, that in-school marketing program. And so they no longer will show that movie in schools, which is significant. So it, one of the things that we can do, obviously we can speak up at the local level and we can go to our school boards and we can speak out in our own schools. But also embarrassing McDonald's is another great way to, get, to make change because this was a case where they were so embarrassed by the negative publicity that they were getting 
around promoting a film that said eating nothing but McDonald's was good for you, that they had to stop showing it. So that was that was actually something that happened this past year that we were really excited about. Mm-hmm. Okay, I need to remind our listeners that if you are just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, and we are speaking with Mr. Josh Golan. He is the Executive Director of Campaign for a Commercial Free Childhood. It is the only organization that is devoted solely to stopping the commercial exploitation of children, and it's also the home of Screen Free Week. All right, let's talk about another campaign Well, let me just back up one moment with regard to the McTeacher Nights, because I think that while we do have individual screens and social media does present its unique challenge from a media literacy perspective and an exploitation perspective, it also allows parents and grassroots organizations to do a lot of public shaming and a lot of public outreach. So I think we need to use those tools in our defense to protect our children as well. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, you know, one of the things that we do at the Campaign for Commercial Free Childhood, you know, when we're thinking about our, how we're going to win our campaigns, what we're always doing is we're looking to change the equation. So for the companies, you know, they know that they can make money off of, of McTeacher's Nights or Hello Barbie or whatever it is they're marketing to kids. But what we're trying to do is, is change the equation so that the long-term damage to their brands isn't worth those short-term profits. And, and social media and organizing on the Internet and, and doing that public shaming is, is just really, it's never been easier to mobilize a large group of parents or, or nutritionists or people who are concerned about this stuff. So it's, it's, it's an incredible tool that, that can be effective for that. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about the 2016 School Bus Action Center. Sure. So one of the things, campaigns that we've been working on for the for the past several years is is the issue of school bus advertising. And um, most states, in fact, don't allow advertising on the outside of school buses. Uh, and this doesn't necessarily have to do with advertising reasons, but it more has to do with safety reasons. Um, you know, a brightly visible yellow bus is 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 a safer bus than one that's um, festooned with advertising that other other drivers might be looking at and to see what's what's being advertised. But what happened is during the economic downturn several years ago is that the ad brokers, the companies that would, um, could, would sell ads on the side of, of public transit buses, started going to legislators and saying, you know what, you should really overturn these, uh, these laws because this would be a great way for schools to make money. So why, why do we have these, you know, let's let the school districts advertise on the side of their school buses. They can, you know, raise all this money for the schools. It's a win-win for schools. And when this started happening, um, it was widely suspected that these laws were all going to be overturned. And, and so that was a campaign that we jumped in as soon as this started happening several years ago. And so we've been really working in states all over the country to make sure that these, that, that these laws are, are not passed. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this is a really important point because not only are school buses an area where kids are by themselves, they don't have parental supervision or adults helping them negotiate the advertising. But it's, again, this connection between the schools, our public education system that we hold so valuable, and exploiting it and intruding into it these advertising messages. And are there any ads that are for things that benefit children? Like, have you seen any ads on, on or in school buses for broccoli, for example? I haven't seen any ads for for broccoli, um, and you know I think that you're the 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 point that you make is is really um, a key one. It's you know the school environment is different. 
than other environments, and whether it's a school bus or in the hallways or in the classrooms of a school, and that children are a captive audience. Um, we have uh, mandatory education laws, and, and kids are, are required to go to school because the idea that it's good for them, it's good for society. I mean, you can't make the argument that it's good for children to be exposed for advertising for Domino's Pizza or some of the other things we've seen advertised on the outside of school buses. And so, you know, one of the reasons marketers love to advertise in schools and on school buses is because it is a captive audience. You know, they don't have to compete with a kid who, you know, the kid can't turn it off and go outside. They can't, you know, they can't change the channel when the ad comes on. So it's a very special situation. And of course, the other thing about it is, is that anything that's advertised in the school comes with that school's powerful endorsement. You know, the schools always say, oh, we're not endorsing it by putting, by permitting these advertising in schools. But of course they are. You know, anything, if you put a message on the, on the hallway, if you put a poster, the school is endorsing that message. And so um, that's a very powerful endorsement to a student who, who believes that the messages that a school has chosen are, are chosen for their benefit. And so for that reason, we really feel that schools need to be commercial-free zones. Kids see enough advertising in the 18 hours a day that they're out of school. And so we really need to preserve schools and school buses as commercial-free space for kids. Absolutely. And I do want to remind our listeners that you have an excellent resource list for parents. You've got articles, books, fact sheets, all kinds of reports, tools, recommended viewing. And we'll talk a little bit about some of those resources here in a minute. But I think the beauty of this is that parents can come together and form grassroots groups within their own communities and feel like they have some materials to present the board. Years ago, when my children were young, I remember one of the issues was soft drinks in schools and these sports drinks that were somehow, they had a halo around them, even though they were simply, you know, soft drinks without the carbonation. But having many voices go to the school board was one of the messages that I received actually from a school board member. It wasn't enough to just have one squeaky wheel. We needed many parents coming together. So I think even forming community campaign for commercial free childhood groups would be really effective in helping to expand your network. And I think that's already going on, isn't it? We don't have any formal formal groups like that at this point, but we do, um, you know, one of the things that social media and Facebook has allowed us to do is connect people to other people in their communities. And, and we, and I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it's, you know, it's much more effective to do this as a group. And it's also, you know, it's, it's hard to go it alone. Um, I think that one of the things that we find with 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 CCFC is that that parents often feel like isolated, you know, and and they're concerned about this barrage of commercialism aimed at their children and junk food marketing and all the things that are coming at their children, but they don't feel like others necessarily are. And so one of the things that that we try and do is help parents feel less isolated to know that mm-hmm. there are people in every community that care about this stuff and try and make those connections with people in 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 your own community because you know it, it <laughs> nobody wants to be that person who's always marching alone into the principal's office saying why is this going on why is this going on it's it's so much better to feel like you're part of a group doing it well and one of the challenges as a parent that i remember was feeling like all of the kids are doing this if you single your own children out and say no we're not going to go say to a mcteacher night or or we're not going to buy that video game, everybody else at school was talking about it. And so your child might feel isolated and not part of the group, which is another challenge that we face as parents. 
Absolutely, and I think that that's one of the reasons why we need to address this stuff as a societal issue, you know, and, and in our communities as as a whole, because it doesn't, you know, one of the things, the, one of the arguments we always get is, well, just don't buy that for your kid, you know, right. or, 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 you know, and I think that um, that ignores the fact that our children are incredibly social, they're growing up in the, and they're seeing this all around them, and that this does, you know, they're affected by marketing, even if we do say no, and they're affected um, by what their peers are are doing and, and of course they're affected by what their peers are doing and so and and that doesn't mean that parents shouldn't say no or couldn't say or can't say no of course they can and should but that's not enough we need to change the culture and we need to make it um, we need to make it so that those that prey upon children are held accountable for it that's exactly right I think it was at one of your excellent meetings that I attended where I learned about some parents who had formed a group in their own community around some of the issues that your organization was putting forth. And I encourage any listener who serves on a PTA or who is involved in any kind of children's education group to bring forth this information and have, you know, like we have book clubs, have a study circle around what we can do to protect our kids because it's just become more ruthless. And that leads me to some of the great resources that you have and some of the other campaigns that you have. Let's talk briefly in the few minutes that we have remaining about screen-free week, because I think it shouldn't just be screen-free week. Let's have a, can we have a screen-free day once a week? Can we do that? Oh, you know, actually, um, one of the things we encourage people to do, so screen-free week is, is a, is a, it used to be called TV turn-off week. Right. Um, but, um, doesn't make too much sense to just talk about turning off the TV when we have so many other, uh, digital devices in our lives now. So we call it screen-free week. It's a program that a lot of schools and communities and libraries and families do every year and see if they can go a whole week without using their screens for entertainment. Of course, they can still use them for school and work if they need to. And, uh, one of the things that we actually encourage people to do is after the week is over is what is what can you commit to to make because everybody who does it um, just about unanimously says oh my god that was that, that was such a relief that was such a break it was so much fun to rediscover all the things that we can do without screens and so we really encourage people to say you know what are you going to do implement going forward what kind of changes and one of the things we suggest is a screen-free day or um, or designating a, you know a, a family board game night you know and what rules can you implement ongoing so it's not just about those seven days but really it's about what changes can you make going forward after the week is over. Do you collect comments from parents and families that have gone through this to help encourage others? We absolutely do, and and you know one of the things that one of the things I love to see is is the parent report backs and what we. We frequently see is that, you know, the first day or two, the kids are grumbling. They don't know what to do with themselves. <laughs> and then they rediscover how to entertain themselves without their screens. And they start making up their own games, and they start taking the toys out from the back of their closet that they haven't played with in years, and they run around outside. And by the end of the week, the kids are saying, can we keep going? Or, you know, can we do this next week? And so it's really fun to see how the parents – you know, and the parents report at the beginning of this week. Oh, I don't know if I were going to make it through the week. This, you know, they're 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 bugging me every two seconds. And then by the end of the week, they're saying, "My God, it's actually less work 
because when they're not dependent on the screens, they're not asking for it all the time, and they're actually doing such a great job of entertaining themselves. I think one of the things that we fear as parents, that is, if we don't give these kids their devices, that that means that we need to entertain our kids every second of the day, and that's yeah. actually not true. Our kids are wonderfully resourceful, just like we were when we were kids, at entertaining themselves. Um, we just need to give them the time and space to do it. Absolutely. Well, Josh, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and I want to thank Josh Golan, the Executive Director of Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood, the only organization devoted solely to stopping the commercial exploitation of children, and it is also the home of Screen Free Week. There are tons of resources available to parents, and I will provide a link to that website, Josh. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOP studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you so much, Josh, for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me.